Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn on over to Romans 13 with me. Um, and before we jump into this tonight, I'm just going to say it's good to be with you this evening. Um, I feel like we've kind of been in the house most of the week <laughs> at, at my house. Our, our boys have kind of been in round two of some form of <laughs> not feeling good. Uh, thankfully, it was over quickly, but uh, been a little bit um, confined to the um, our, our cozy home, but it's, it's nice to see people, you know, uh, <laughs> interact, be out. Um, I don't know if anyone else feels that way, or maybe you're, you're like, I was actually thinking about not coming today because there would be people there, but no, it's just good. It's good to be together, and I hope if you felt that other way, you um, quickly realize I was wrong. It's good to be uh, with people, but not just people, any people, but it's good to be with the family of God together. Um, and so let's just pray on that note um, for the rest of our time, and that we would just appreciate it. For the gift that it is, um, God, we do. We thank you that um, this is part of your design and desire for us to be together and um, to be together by um, your name through your spirit and to, um, <clears throat> to let you speak to us collectively and individually. And to appreciate the gift that we have in, um, in our gathering. To um, affirm what is of you in everyone else in this room. And to have that affirmed and reminded um, about ourselves. And to, to come to uh, you together and to ask you to speak and to... Um, <clears throat> humbly listen and to desire um, to not only discern what you would <clears throat> have for us, but to, um, to walk it out. And I pray that we would um, we'll let you do that now, and I pray, God, that together we would, um, we would take steps to, um, to be obedient to what what you've said to us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right, Romans 13. Um, before we jump into to reading this, um, we're, we're just kind of a background. We are in the home stretch of Romans. Can you believe it? It only took us all of 2019 and part of 2020. Um, we're in the home stretch. Um, this section from Romans 12 onward, there's a shift um, in what Paul is saying, and 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 um, and that shift is from really building this foundation of of the gospel um, to then talking about the implications of that gospel, what it means for our lives, and how we to are to apply the truth of this um, in an everyday context. Um, so that's the shift from Romans 12 on, and so we're kind of getting into the specifics of that. 
um, and uh, recognizing that um, there are some differences to what Paul was saying to them versus what that might mean for us, um, and, but there are a lot of similarities as well. Um, so as we get into some of that application part, we get to uh, um, a text that uh, may be familiar or popular for some unfortunate reasons, meaning um, um, a text that may be familiar in, in, in a way that has maybe been misappropriated, misinterpreted, misapplied. Um, and I would suggest that um, Romans 13, this first section, um, has, has often been used um, wrong. Okay. Uh, and I'll explain a little bit more as we go. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to, as I've kind of had some time to um, just sit with this text and to listen to perspectives on it um, and, and get some understanding um, looking forward to doing that together this evening. Um, so let's read. We're going to actually uh, go from verse 1 to... We're not going to read all of Romans 13. We're going to stop at, I think it's verse 14. Oh, we're going to stop at verse 10. Okay. Um, Romans chapter 13. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. All right. Um, <clears throat> we're going we're gonna to look at a few things. And really, um, we're going to try our best to kind of address some questions regarding... Um, how we are to understand authority, um, how we are to understand specifically government, um, and the, um, the relationship between our um, place under some of those things um, in 
relation to our um, allegiance to Jesus. Okay? All right? Um, but as we, we start talking about that, actually, I think one of the most helpful things for us to do is to really kind of get a sense of the context of this passage, okay? So I'm going to break that down just a little bit. Um, but before I do, I just, um, um, yeah, okay, let's just go there. Um, sorting this out on the fly. I've, I've arranged these notes like four or five different ways, so I'm not sure which one we're all getting tonight, but maybe one of those may be a, a new one. <laughs> Um, this was really helpful for me. And this is like basic reading your Bible type stuff. But I think sometimes when we, we think we're familiar with a passage or we've heard it before and we've heard it used um, a certain way, whether we think that's right or wrong, sometimes we skip this step, which is this basic step of understanding the context of what's being said. Because before it was ever said to us, before it was ever said to the American people, um, before it was ever said to, you know, it was said to a specific group of people that Paul was writing to, right? And we know that. Um, but who were those people and why was he writing this, okay? That's some stuff that would be actually in this case in particular really beneficial, but in general, as we read our Bibles, like, let's just um, not forget to do that. Even if we think we know what something means, um, but maybe especially if we think we know what something means. Um, who, who was this for initially? And, and in that context, what did this mean? And this is the type of thing Jeff is affirming because Jeff understands the importance of things like that as it relates to history and like reading about history. And this is historical. Do you realize that this is historical? Um, this is an actual group of people that Paul was writing to in actual time that, that had a, a, there was a certain dynamic playing out. And, and Paul writes to them in, in the specificity of that dynamic. Okay? And in fact, as I was wrestling with some of these things and listening to different voices and hearing some very helpful things, um, it didn't all kind of come together until I went back to this basic thing of like, who is this for and, and why was it being written? Okay? And, and if we look at kind of the traditional interpretation of this, which is uh, being used a lot of times, often as a proof text by authority, to people under authority to say, you should obey what we're doing because God approves of it. And if you care about what, what God would have you do, then you should listen to us. That's kind of the traditional interpretation, um, a, a popular or unpopular interpretation, depending on who you are, of Romans 13. And, and if that's what this means, then we should really pay attention to it because there's a lot of implications for that. For, for us that would say, God, we want to do what you say. Right? We want to obey you, God. Um, then we would, if that's the interpretation, then that has big implications for our lives. <clears throat> but I want to suggest that, that, that the context for this is in fact different than how it's often been applied in this broad stroke kind of a way. 
Um, and and I, I would suggest that, in fact, Paul, when he's referring to authorities here, who is he talking about? Let's just answer that. Who is he talking about when he's talking about authority? He's talking about all authority everywhere, or he's talking about a specific authority. Like, what was the specific authority? Okay, that that would have been um, come to mind for them, the people that Paul was writing to. Was it the Roman rule? Okay, so we have this dynamic of, and I'll just confess, I don't know all the ins and outs of this. And I don't think we need to know all the ins and outs of this to make sense of it. But there was Roman rule, okay, that was over the Jewish people. And then there was Jewish rule. There was uh, Jewish authorities, right, which we're familiar with throughout Scripture. Jesus has some interesting exchanges with those very authorities um, himself. Weren't always on good terms. That's kind of putting it lightly. Like we have a lot less content if, if, if we didn't have the exchanges that they had and some very interesting stuff. Um, so there's Jewish authority that was governing the Jewish people. And then there's Roman authority that was over that and a lot of other people as well. So is, is Paul talking here about specifically Roman authority? Is he talking about Jewish authority? Is he talking about both? Um, is he talking even broader than that? Um, I would suggest, and I'll explain why I think this is the case. I would suggest that Paul is not talking about Rome. Like, I know this book to the Romans, so you might think he's talking to um, people about the Romans, but he's not. Because this is a book to the Roman church, okay, more specifically. And the Roman church, and in, in, in the things that Paul's been writing to this point, is to two groups of people. It's not to a, a, a prim, primarily Jewish audience, um, or a, a, a solely Jewish audience. Um, it's not to a solely Gentile audience. He's writing to a group of people who were united by Jesus, um, one group who found their roots in Judaism, and another group who found their roots in paganism. Do you understand that? And, and together they became the church of Rome. Okay? So that's the first part. Who were the people he's writing to? He's writing to a mixed audience of believers. First they're believers, but, but the dynamics um, under that umbrella that brought them together uh, were pretty different. How they came together, what their, their background was. Um, so you have this Jewish believing audience and you have this Gentile believing audience and they're they're together and they're dressed together and at times separately in this letter. Okay? So that's the first part of this. Um and within the context of that group of people, we realize um actually this section on the application of the gospel starts with how we are to love each other, how we are to get along, how we are to be united under Jesus, okay? So he's talking about that first. He's talking about how we're to interact with each other, how we're to submit to each other, how we're to love each other. And doesn't it seem odd that he would shift from that to, let's talk about Rome for a minute. <laughs> are, are you with me? Are you tracking? Because then actually, you know, just in the context of the letter itself, if you fast forward to Romans 14, which we're not going to go there, Romans 14 is focused on the dynamics of believers together. 
Romans 12 is focused on the dynamics of believers together. Yes, it goes a little bit beyond that in, in terms of how he says who you're supposed to love. It's like everybody. Um, but he specifically gives a lot of examples that are believers interacting together. So where does Romans 13, and not just Romans 13, but like the first section of Romans 13 fit into that? Is, is there something else that we don't know that Paul's referring to that he's like, oh yeah, let me talk about this thing again for a second? I don't think so. I think it's what he's been talking about up to this point. Um, it's just a continuation of that, which is our dynamics together, the dynamics of those who, um, who profess Jesus. Okay. So then how does authority relate to that? And what authority? Uh, again, I don't think he's talking about Rome. I don't think he's shifting to say, let's talk about how um, the church is, is meant to relate to um, this, this power that's, that's over you. I think, in fact, what he's addressing is that very dynamic of how, we, how believers are to love each other and to maintain unity and to um, um, interact with each other. And, and here's how I think that relates to that. In that context, I believe he's actually talking about Jewish authority. Jewish authority. And this is something I know was lost on me until I read it. And I thought, oh, that, you know, that makes sense. And it's, it's not how I often imagine the development of the church to be. But the development of the early church was um, inextricably linked to Judaism. Like, it wasn't like Jesus was like, okay, I'm, I'm, we're, we're, there's this new boat. If you want to get on it, it's called Christianity. Um, you have to leave behind everything you knew about God on the Jewish boat and get on this one. That's not what he did. I know that was like really extreme, but you guys agree with me. That's not what he did, right? And in fact, it's like Jesus fulfilled all these things that God had been speaking to the Jewish people Throughout, throughout time because it was the same God, right? And that in of itself was one of the hardest things for people to understand and wrap their minds around. And in that uh, dynamic, actually, one of the things that Paul was really concerned about was, and we see this actually, if you look at the book of Acts, you'll see um, a lot of this is coming up. He was concerned about Jewish believers and Gentile believers maintain the unity that Christ established. Why is that so important? Because that they were the church together through Jesus. There was the implication of the gospel that said, um, yes, like, you might have fought as Gentiles and be on the outside looking in, but Jesus has actually brought them into the plan of God that you thought was exclusively um, Jewish in nature. And it was also saying to the Gentile believers, um, you, you don't have the history and the, the lineage and the legacy um, that the Jewish people have with God, but that doesn't mean you throw it out. And in fact, actually... Um, you would be wise to understand and learn from them in that because uh, it's God has been building something up until this point. He didn't start something new. 
This was all part of his plan until now. And in fact, I would suggest that Romans 13 is addressing in particular the, the tendency for Gentile believers to um, maybe even in this pride of we have this thing now to reject Jewish believers and to reject specifically the, the, the environment that um, the Jewish people had worshipped God in and still worship God in. The, the temple, the synagogue. Do you realize that in the early church, Jewish believers were still worshiping there? And, and maybe Gentile believers were trying to reconcile that. Like, do we go to temple? Do we go to the synagogue? Like, and, and the synagogue was this place where, uh, you know, some of the, the main things of Christianity were being wrestled with. And if you read about you know, you can read about that in, in Acts. Um, I don't know if we'll get there tonight or not, but Acts 4 is an example of that, where there was actually a clash, and the clash between what God was doing through um, believers, through those that followed Jesus, and the traditions of Judaism, um, we, we see them come to a head. But the context for that was the temple, which was the result of Believers going to the temple to worship and to gather and to meet with, with, with people that had claimed to follow Jesus and people who didn't. So it wasn't like once they said, we believe in Jesus now, they cut all that off. And so in that context, it's interesting to read Romans 13. And it sounds a lot different all of a sudden. It, actually, I would suggest... I said this, I, I would suggest that Romans 13 is actually way more similar to Romans 11 than we think. Um, meaning part of why Paul wrote Romans 11 was uh, for specifically, I would say, Gentile believers to realize that the, that the Jewish people were still central to God's plan of salvation. And he didn't just pass them up and move on. And, and so he's coming back to those types of things in terms of the implications of that salvation and the plan of God to say those authorities who are still managing the worship of the temple, they were put there by God. Like that, that actually seems to fit really well with what we've been reading to this point. And it also makes sense that, um, you know, people were wrestling with, and, and again, Romans 11 is addressing this, who's the salvation for now? And, um, and so he's saying, look, if you're going to go to temple, submit to the temple authorities. Submit to the authorities there because God put them there. He didn't just, he didn't just, take away their authority that he gave them in the first place in, in the plan and the purposes that he's bringing about now. And so maybe that's for um, Gentiles, maybe that's for the Jewish believers who are kind of like, well, we believe in Jesus now, so what do we do with the temple? Do we, you know, do we disrespect, dishonor, uh, disengage? And, and I think what Paul is saying is try to maintain the unity 
And, and you actually see, because what Paul realized, again, that he pointed out in Romans 11, was they're still a part of God's plan. And we want to see them brought into the fold. We want to see them experience the salvation that was originally intended for them through Jesus. And even things like the tax. Well, how does that relate? Well, there was a, there was a temple tax. So part of what he's saying is just very practical. He's like, you're going to go to temple, pay the tax. So um, here's here's how we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna kind of extrapolate some of this, okay? Because in light of those things, I think part of the question becomes, okay, that's not our context. So what do we do with that information? And this is why I said this is actually a lot more related to Romans 11 because. Most people don't preach on Romans 11 because they're like, I don't care about that. Like, the, the tree being grafted in. Like, let's just be honest. It's not a very popular passage because it doesn't seem to immediately fit our interests or needs or purposes. And I would say that part of Romans 13, for some, seem to fit needs and purposes in a way that it's not supposed to. And therefore, it's become popular in a way that it was never meant to. Okay, so, so, but it's here, and it's beneficial for us in some way. And I would suggest it's, it's, it's beneficial uh, partly first and foremost, okay? I don't think it, our immediate application actually has to do even with government. I think it has to do with what the gospel has created, who the gospel has brought together, who the gospel has united. And, and I, I'm not going to get into this part, but I would read Ephesians 2, 11 through 18, because this is Paul in a different letter saying some of the same. This is the reason behind, I think, the reason behind why he's telling them to still submit to some authorities that they may not agree with. For the purpose of connecting with people who they've been brought together with. Through Jesus. Ephesians 2 talks about that. Again, I'm not going to read it, but, but Ephesians 2 is him saying you've been, you've been brought into one body. And what God has created in that way, let's not throw it out. Let's not, you know, even because of our differences, um, ignore um, the, the significance of that. Because it has actually been a lot easier, and it still is a lot easier to look at the differences than it is to look at what brings us together, what we have in Jesus. And so I think an initial application is actually for us in our own lives, and as it relates to the church, not only here, but the church in our city and in our world, to, to think about where we might be, in our even in our arrogance, perhaps, um, Discounting or disregarding the unity that Christ created that we're meant to have. You guys with me? Okay. Um, I, 
feel like you know this is more time than we normally spend on something like this. And I feel like it's important partly because when we hear some of those other interpretations now, there's an opportunity for us to set the record straight. So I want to put that out there too. You might not ever preach on Romans 13, but you might get a chance to. <laughs> and it's so important because um, I mean I think Christianity has been distorted because of passages like this being distorted. And there are people who don't want anything to do with Christianity because they're like, really what they believe? They believe you should just do whatever the government says for you to do? And that's a whole other thing, but I don't know how much we're going to get into that, but I do have some thoughts on it. And let's just say this. Before I go any further, I will recommend a resource, okay? If we don't get as far as I might want to go tonight, I will recommend a resource that was recommended to me. Um, Pastor Greg Boyd of um, Woodland Hills Church um, has a really good, really in-depth message on this very question of um, should we submit to government in, in a broad context and looks at this passage and considers a lot of other things, a lot of other texts. I would recommend listen to that. That's kind of a primer if you want more on that broad conversation. Um, we'll get into it a little bit because I do think it's important for us because it is part of the broader context. So this is the specific context, um, but how does what he's saying here, does it apply to a broader context or not? Like, Do the same things apply to how um, believers in that time should have treated the Roman authorities or not? Um, because you know those are some of the questions that still exist and some of the ways that this has been suggested. Um, um, to be applied from now to then. Um, what is the role of government on our lives, on the lives of believers in general? Um, and we'll look at a few things, okay? Let's see. <laughs> see what we can do here. Um, I think where we really need to start is just realizing who our allegiance is to. Who is our allegiance to? It's to God. It's to Jesus. Um, and you actually see that um, throughout history, um, with the people of God, he's always been calling them to that. Um, so part of this fundamental design that we, we understand is that like we are called to obey God above all else. Obey God above all else. Um, in the Old Testament you see um, you see one of the ways that worked itself out was you know God had had had, had put some people 
um, in, in charge of helping manage and direct and lead the people of God. Um, they put priests and prophets in place and, and um, there was this interaction there. And in 1 Samuel, you see this moment where um, the, the, there's been this changing of the guard between Samuel's position and his role and helping direct and lead the people. And he passes that on to his sons. And his sons, only problem is like they weren't cut from the same cloth. It was like Samuel was the man. His sons, not so much. And in fact, what, what we're told is that not only did they, did they not heed what God um, desired for them, um, but they, they, they operated in injustice. And so the people come and they come to Samuel and they say, this is, this is wrong, this isn't right. Like, like, we want you back, Samuel. Like, <laughs> we don't know where those kids came from. Um, but it, it didn't happen. It's not working. Actually, what they said was, not we want Samuel back. They said, we want a king. We want a king. Like, we're done with them leading us. And I believe in, in their request, there was actually something good there. Meaning, like, they saw that they were not leading from the right place. It was, it was easy to see. They saw that there was injustice being perpetuated by the very people that were supposed to be establishing it. And they said, it's not right. Where they went wrong, though, is they said, we want a king like every other nation. Would it be like everybody else? And I think they thought in their mind, this would be clearly better than what we have now. What they probably should have said is, um, let's go back to there being someone in charge helping lead us in the right way to God himself. Like Samuel was doing. And Samuel was obviously grieved by their request. He's like, he's like, I, I get it. I, I know those boys. I, I, I try my best to raise them the right way. He's like, but this, you want a, you want a king like everybody else? And in 1 Samuel 8, um, let's just look at this for a second. He said, that this is what they said to him. You're old and your sons don't follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. But when they said give us a king to lead us. This displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him listen to what the people are saying to you. It is not you they rejected. But they rejected me as their king. God is so kind. And um, you know what? He's like. He's even willing to give in to our, our demands. Even when they're not good for us. Because out of his kindness, he doesn't just assert himself to say, <laughs> uh, what you want is different than what I want, so what I want is going to rule. You hear the heart of God grieved in this. He says, Samuel, you know, I know, this is not going to go well. And just as you're sad, and because of that sadness, you're coming to me, God's grief too. You can, kinda, you can hear it in this. Just give them what they want. Because they, they haven't rejected you, they rejected me. Because you, you see the weight of this. And you see the heart of God in this, which is that God's desire was that his people would 
follow him and let him lead them. That was his desire then. That's his desire now. And we could kind of follow the course of that. You can see the way that the kings, you know, God, in his mercy, he, he works his plans and purposes into that. But this, that wasn't his original intent. And interestingly enough, when Jesus comes, what we see is actually that God, Jesus comes to establish the very kingdom that, that God wanted his people to experience from the get-go. Where he's Lord, he's king. And the answer to him. Right? When Jesus comes, he comes proclaiming a kingdom. And in and, and, and the back of their minds, they were thinking what they had between the time of this request up to that point. But that's not what Jesus had in mind, and that's part of the disconnect then, and still at times a disconnect. Even the disconnect of wanting both. We want, we want Jesus to do his thing, and we want government to do their thing, and sometimes we want the government to do their thing more, and Jesus take back seat, and it's not supposed to be that way. There's, there's one king, one kingdom, and that's why we're called to seek first that king and that kingdom, and that's why we, we can't have two masters. There's one. And, and so God is king. He has a kingdom, and if we've been brought into his family, that's where our allegiance is. So what of... What of government? What of government? And I think just on a simple level, um, now that we understand Romans 13, which I think is the most problematic proof text for an allegiance, uh, 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 sort of um, a... Um, sort of all-encompassing allegiance to government. Um, we actually see through scripture and in light of what God has called us to as his, as his family and part of his kingdom, we actually see way more examples of God's people going against the grain of whatever was existing at the time, whatever was instituted at the time, whatever was being implemented by the government of the time. Even the very government that was supposed to be uh, God-sanctioned. Are, are you with me? Like, even the very government that God himself said, okay, give them a king, um, was, was, was hugely problematic because uh, a lot of times it, it was not based on the, the wants and desires and the will of God. And um, thus this idea of people just saying yes to that unequivocally doesn't make sense. And in fact, through scripture, we see the opposite being true. Christianity is counter-culture and oftentimes counter-government because the things that we've been called to in Jesus are not the norms in our world. They're just not. And like we understand that um, in, in a lot of ways, but then when we hear things like this, it can confuse that and be like, wait, but you know, am I supposed? I, I want to do what you want me to do, God. So I'm supposed to like, like, wh what was my role supposed to be in this? 
And, and can we question the things that are in place, um, especially the things that don't seem right? So I would suggest that actually when we look at Scripture, um, and some of these we've talked about before, but if you look at Bible, you'll see that, like, you know, there's a reason they were killing Christians, because they were, they, were, they were living in a way that was counter to, to the environment of the time, the, the government of the time, the, the, the rules and laws of the time. And so whenever that's the case, we have an allegiance, one allegiance, and it's to Jesus. And so um, I would say not only are there moments where it's okay to go against what government would say, but actually that's probably oftentimes the trend because the, the governments that are, are in place, most of them aren't God-inspired. I think it's just safe to say that. Um. Some examples, right? We, we read Exodus 1 uh, a while ago. Uh, that's a really important moment where, um, you know, I'm just glad that, that they didn't misinterpret Romans 13 in that moment. This is a joke. They didn't have it, right? Um, but, you know, they, they, they rebelled against the, the um, Pharaoh's orders, right? Because they discerned. This is not the heart of God. This is easy. <laughs> who are we going to listen to? God or the people who are quote unquote in charge? Easy. Easy. I would suggest that if we understand this, there will actually be a lot more moments where as Christians we are um, seemingly defined. Um, what exists and what is established. Um, because we realize it's not the heart of God. It's not what he wants. Um, and I'll break that down a little bit further. We're going to get there. We're getting close. Just, just looking at what he says in Romans 12. Romans 12, 9. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. But if you're going to do that alone, just that, in a broad sense, realize like, there's so many moments where you're like, oh, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to, at the very least, not agree with what government would say I should do right now because I need to hate what is evil and cling to what is good, and this is not good. And it may in fact be evil. Like we have to get rid of the notion that may exist for some of us that, like, because it's government, it's good. There, there is a, there's a brand of Christianity that thinks that because of how things like Romans 13 have been explained to them. If it's government, it's good. Those things actually often don't go hand in hand. Because a lot of reasons. We're in a fallen world and the people who run it are fallen. And especially, you know how hard it is to follow Jesus when you want to? <laughs> Just think of the people that don't want to. Hmm. Might there be other motivations for the, the laws themselves or the, the way we carry it out and the, the, even the equity with which the same thing is applied or not applied to people based on how it might benefit or not benefit us? You see, you see what I'm getting at? Like, it, it gets messy and ugly and evil really quick. So we should actually, like, maybe have a skepticism in general to the the authorities that exist in the sense that we realize that if God is not behind it, that it's 
it's gonna it's gonna have a selfish, a self-serving, a sinful motivation oftentimes. Um I mentioned this earlier, Acts 4, and this is um a really good um specific moment of some of the things that I'm talking about in Romans 13 playing out. So Romans 4, or Acts 4 would have never happened unless Paul himself was doing some of the things that he's telling the people in Romans 13 to do. So he's still worshiping in the temple. He's still meeting with people there, and he's, but he's sharing about Jesus. And because of that, there's a clash that occurs. And it's the passage that eventually ends with Paul saying, should we um, obey man or should we obey God? And so he's, it's not quite the same context, but the, the end is the same, which is we're called to obey God over any man. All right, I've kind of established that when you guys are with me, I can tell. Um, um, so where do we land this? And this is kind of like, this is, this is our guiding principle. It's not just, uh, well, I follow God and, um, and we have this personal arrangement going on and when some man says something that I don't want to hear, then, well, I, should I follow you or should I follow God? I'm going to follow God. Like, wow, it seems so spiritual. In fact, it might be like <laughs> um, being arrogant or prideful or, you know, doing some of the things that he says here. Um, but in our allegiance to Jesus and in this kingdom, what what has precedent over everything else? It is it is him but specifically, and, and this is still him, it's, it's the law of love. The law of love has precedent over anything else. And what I, I would suggest is that most government and policy and uh, arrangements that exist, powers that exist in our world are not motivated and ruled by love. So another way that they clash, but for us, for the kingdom, love is, love is, love is it. Love is what we abide by. Love is what we're motivated by. Love is the law in the kingdom called the law of love, right? And even the law that, that, that was being talked about here is summed up in love. And so, that's why he says, let no debt remain except the continuing debt to love. That is our, that is our supreme orders, if you will, from our king. It's to love in every situation. And to not wait for the government to, <laughs> to show us what, what that's supposed to look like. Because if we wait for that, we probably won't ever get to it. And in fact, that means when we see moments that actually have been perpetuated by what's set in place that are not loving, we not only resist those, but we, we work against them to establish love. To love the people that are being affected perhaps negatively by those things in place that are not loving. I know that seems really simple, 
But, but actually, Romans is all about a righteous reality being established now through Jesus in a reality that's motivated by love. And so a reality in which his peace and his love and his, um, his joy reign and rule. And that's what we want for this world. And the government isn't going to bring that. The government can help it or can uh, deter it. Yes, so it's not like there's no place there for, for God to move in government, work through government. But, but that's, not, um, that's not even the government's primary objective and goal. It's often to manage the chaos. Right? But ours is love. And I think when we, when we think about government and the implication there is that, I, and I just want to leave it with this, and, and the implications are broad, but on, on kind of like a, on a core principle sense, when we look at what exists around us, we need to ask the question, is it perpetuating, producing, creating love and the fruit of love for people for humanity in a way that God wants. I know that might seem very broad and um, and vague perhaps, but I think that actually can help us to see that some of the things that exist in our country that our own government has said obey us in this because we're, you know, we're your authority they're not, it's not loving. So what should we do there? We should not only not obey it, but we should probably speak out against it. You guys hearing me? Um, so, so that's just like, that's a baseline. And we can extrapolate, and I think um, this is the part of this that, you know, um, probably encourages dialogue and us asking, you know, what about this and what about this? And, but, but actually, the call is, the call is simple. And, um, you know, and if, if we're struggling even with, like, well, what does it mean to love um, people around us or, like, or love to be in the middle of all this? Like, just think about how we would want to be treated, right? Jesus talks about loving our neighbor as ourselves. So, like, thinking about in the things that are happening right now, uh, whether that's in our country and in and, and our government um, or the things that are happening in our city, um, like are are those are the things that are that exist things that we would want to experience for ourselves and if not then like um, then what does it look like for us to love and I think one of the actions is to not just uh, it's not to ignore um, but it's to call out it's to um, like actively resist the things that have been perpetuated and in fact by government that that don't fit with that. Don't create that for everyone. Is with me? Um, so it's actually um, creates a very opposite application of what has often been established by Romans thirteen. Okay, let's pray. <laughs> Jesus, thank you, thank you that you're with us. Thank you that you are radical, that you are so different. Your kingdom, the way you operate, what you're motivated by, what you desire. 
And God, we're right in the middle of learning what that looks like to, to come under your rule and reign in all things and to not just want the, the fruit of that for ourselves, but to want the fruit of that for um, the people around us. And not just the people that we care about, but the people that we don't care about. Or, or, or the people that we, we, we feel like we have reasons not to love. Reasons to call our enemy. Reasons to just be apathetic about. Realizing that they're all encompassed in your, um, the government that you have established through your son. And the fruit of that that you want to bring to their lives. And so, God, we just affirm that. And we realize that the implications are immense. And, um, and God, um, we've, we've only begun to scratch the surface uh, to understanding that and what that needs to look like for our lives. Um, and so, I, I, help, I pray you would help us to just um, continue to ask you, perhaps the simplicity of what does it look like to love um, the person right in front of me, the person across town from me, the person in the neighborhood that I've never been to, um, the people who have been thrown away um, by society, the people that don't seem to give value to my life, um, and everyone in between, the people that created some of the things that exist that are creating uh, inequity and unfairness and Injustice, um, those people too, God. What does it look like to love? And that you would help us to walk that out individually and together as a church. So, God, we just bless your name. Jesus, we're going to take um, communion tonight. When you're ready, you can come and receive. We're going to receive the one that has brought us together. Come when you're ready.